be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Maybe you've heard it before. Be not afraid. You know the opposite of be not afraid? Take care. Watch out. Look both ways before you cross the street. That's a good one, by the way. You should do that. But it's the opposite of do not be afraid. We teach our children, we teach those around us to be afraid of lots of things all the time. Uh, we don't maybe need, mean to say be afraid, but that's, that's what we say often. Um, one of the most um, common things I say to Noah uh, when he goes someplace is be safe. Drive safe. Watch for other drivers. I'm not worried about you. I'm worried about all the other people. You know, be safe, be safe, be safe. And it, before you know it, we can become a people who live in fear. That that's our normal reality. It is the culture. And to us and to Mary and to Joseph and to the shepherds, God has three little words. If you know them, say them with me. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. 365 times in the Bible, be not afraid. One for every day of the year. I think that's interesting. Maybe we should catch on. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. But if you're like me, um, you have some awareness of the world we live in. Um, you may be even watching the news from time to time. You might see something on your news feed on social media, and it looks like this. And you're afraid. Or at least concerned. Hopefully prayerful. Every time I see uh, photos of North Korea gathering their military, uh, doing exercises, I think of John Bartoli of our church, Commander Bartoli, um, and his wife Heather and their kids. Uh, they live in Korea, um, right there, um, right next to this. When I see this, I think of them, and I pray for them. I hope you pray for them. If you haven't started praying for John and Heather and their family, please do. It's very important, the work that he does, as he keeps us all safe. It is important. And you know, when you, when you look at their leader uh, and our leader and, and some playing of chicken with nuclear weapons, you need to be afraid, have a little concern. You wonder uh, what it's like. I, in my lifetime, I don't know that I've seen something like this. Uh, and so I'm, I'm a little afraid. Am, am I the only one concerned about these things? Think, huh, that doesn't seem like a good idea, right? Or maybe a little closer to home or maybe not closer to home. It depends on uh, sort of your ideological output. There's this guy, right? He weirds me out. <laughs> he doesn't look like a nice guy. Maybe he is. I don't know him well. Um, but, you know, what exactly uh, is his role in our political system now, if any? Um, what, what does um, foreign governments have to do with our elections? Um, much? Little? In between? I don't know. But he seems, he seems sketchy to me. I don't know. I hope his grandma's not listening. You know, she will hate me for that. But, you know, that, that doesn't seem like a good deal. I'm a little afraid, a little concerned. But, but if we're really honest, you're not so concerned about photo one or photo two. What you're really worried about is this coming weekend that it might look something like that. That you're going to go to your in-law's house and they're going to make you dress up like a reindeer. Or something equally stupid. You know, just where you're like, oh, I don't know. Did, did you know that therapists have, have, have gone through all the stressful things in life and, and the most stressful thing um, that happens in a person's life is the loss of their spouse? And that's not surprising to people. Uh, Chantel and I have been married for 26 years, more than half of our life. Uh, something happened to her, I can't really even imagine the devastation I would feel. Um, secondly, not surprising, divorce. Those are the big, big two. Uh, loss of a close family member, particularly a spouse, and then divorce. 
Um, but thirdly, might surprise you, it's Christmas. You're like, that doesn't surprise me at all, <laughs> right? Christmas, this sort of nonsense that happens. It can be joyful, but it can also be a nightmare. And so a lot of you are like, ah, I'm not feeling much joy this Christmas. I'm kind of stressed out about it. I've been to this thing and that thing at school and at work and at church and in the neighborhood and at this and my friends and my family. Uh, for many of us now, we have a split extended families. So it's going to dads and his new wife and grandma and grandpa over here and mom and her new husband and over here and here and, and my aunt who can't come because of the thing with the other cousin over here. So we've got a fourth one over here because they don't get along and we don't want to be rude and we don't want to change sides. And so, you know, uh, we're on our 11th Christmas and it's December 16th because we've got to be here, 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 and here to try to make it all work. But it doesn't work, does it? It's a mess. Where's your joy? And to all of this, wherever you are, God says this, be not afraid. And to Joseph, he says, don't be afraid. Not that there weren't plenty of things wrong in first century Judaism. There were. But he says, don't be afraid to do the right thing by Mary. You know, her life's on the line. The baby Jesus' life is on the line. They need you to intervene. They need you to step up. They need you to be there for them. And Joseph does. Last week, uh, Melissa did an, a great job of sharing with us um, that, again, the angel comes to Mary, a 12, 13, 14-year-old girl, and says, be not afraid. What does the angel say, by the way? Oh, you're starting to get it. Good. Be not afraid. And for her, it was a very scary thing because, of course, according to Deuteronomy, she would be stoned to death. You, you grab a 12, 13, 14-year-old girl, and if she becomes pregnant during that uh, time of betrothal, normally two years, um, and certainly if they don't think it's um, the husband to be, you kill him in front of everybody so that none of the young people get the idea that it might be okay for them to try that as well. It's a very public, terrible, gruesome thing that she faced. And the angel says to her, no, 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 you don't have to be afraid. The child within you is the Messiah, the Lord, Jesus. He will save his people from their sin. And then um, exit the primary characters and Joseph and Mary. And then you, you enter on the outside of town, on, you know, on the very outskirts of town, this sort of weird extra story that kind of sits out here on the side. And that's the shepherds. And the angels come to the shepherds of all people, Mary, Joseph, and shepherds. I mean, there are lots of folks that you would think the angel would go to. Maybe the priest in the temple. I mean, there's a story about Zechariah um, in another place. Uh, but the primary story is about Joseph, Mary, and the shepherds. You might think that um, the messenger would go to the ruling powers, go to Rome. You might think um, that he would go to a, another place of military power or might. But no, they go to shepherds. And what does the angel say to the shepherds? Be not afraid. And then go and see. Go and see what I'm doing. Go and be where I am. Go where I am moving. Go and see. And they do. So who were the shepherds? Why would God choose them? Why were they important? What can we learn from the point that God went to the shepherds? Why them? Well, shepherds really haven't changed all that much in 2,000 years. If you were to go to the Holy Land, a shepherd's going to look a lot like this. Um, and, and when I like to think of a shepherd, I like to think of Ireland, right? With big green rolling hills and clover, all that kind of stuff. But that's not what a shepherd is. Shepherd in the desert, do you, do you see much green grass around here? No. A little patch here, a little patch right there. It's very hard life. And people don't like them or trust them. Um, and they smell bad. They were the lower socioeconomic class. When you think about a shepherd, the only folks lower than a shepherd were the beggars or the lepers 
or the blind. And so, yes, there are some other stories in the Bible about folks that might have been worse off than shepherds, but none who worked. I mean, if you were a worker, carpenter was better. I mean, pretty much, can you think of anything worse than working in sheep poop all day? I mean, that's basically what they're doing. And they have to basically run for their lives. Um, they were uneducated. Uh, they didn't sit at the feet of the rabbi like others. Um, they, didn't, they weren't learned people. They basically, they weren't even ranchers. They, they didn't own the sheep by and large. They, these weren't their sheep. They were hired to watch somebody else's sheep. And so that's what they would do. And again, people didn't want to be around them because they smelled bad. Um, some of my fraternity brothers, when I was in school, used to work the hog barns. Uh, and they would come in from working at five thirty, six in the morning, and everybody knew it. And so we would beg them, please leave your boots outside, please, please. And, and something really strange happened to me. Um, I became very grateful um, that I was in a situation where I didn't have to work the hog barn to go to school. These guys worked hard. They were hardworking guys. And they were up before dawn. And they did their work before dawn. And then they had to do all their schoolwork and then go back and do it after the sun was down. These were some of the hardest working, smelliest people I'd ever met in my life. It was tough. And, and, and you know, when you got your lottery roommate, you were hoping that you weren't one of the, with one of them. So imagine that you have guys that always smelled like animal poop all the time. And, and how close do you want them at your Christmas table? I don't know. Most people didn't. And it's not just that. They were scorned as outcast because they were thought of as dishonest because they grazed their flocks on other people's land. Did you notice how little grass we showed in that former photo? You know what you do when you run out of grass? You find more grass. And guess what? If you're responsible for the life of the sheep and the life of the sheep depends on your life and, and your life then is supporting another family, so your children and your wife and your community is based on how well you can tend for the sheep. Um, you're not that concerned of whether that grass that you find happens to be some that you own or some, something somebody else planted last fall. Around here, we would talk about, you know, imagine a, a rancher's surprise if somebody had 100 cattle on their winter wheat without their noticing, right? I mean, it is a bad deal. People hated shepherds. Because they did whatever it took to keep the sheep alive, even if it meant eating all your grass, basically stealing from you. And so they were known as dishonest, um, you know, shifty people, sketchy, not anybody you want to have anything to do with. They were scorned. Now, isn't it interesting that this is who the angels, the host of heaven, the angel armies come to? This is who God comes to. Who would you expect them to go to? Well, Luke does a masterful job. Um, in his writing of juxtaposing, uh, having this uh, shift between the shepherds and Caesar Augustus. That's who you would think the angels would come to. Caesar Augustus, everybody knew. He was a big deal. And by the way, he was known as the Prince of Peace. Everybody knew Caesar Augustus as the Prince of Peace. Not some, you know, baby in a manger that the shepherds are telling you about. That would sound crazy. Well, who is this Caesar Augustus? Well, if you uh, go back and you were to do Roman history and you remember folks like uh, Mark Antony, Cleopatra, he comes out of that line. Um, He's basically a descendant uh, of those folks. He ruled from 27 BC, um, 27 years before Christ, until his death in 14 AD, so about half of Jesus' life. And by law, Augustus held a collection of powers granted to him for life by the Roman Senate, including supreme military command. He could do whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, to whoever he wanted. And he did. 
And the reign of Augustus initiated an era, an era of relative peace known as the Pax Romana. Again, some of you have heard of that. Now, let's be clear. Those who write the, the textbooks get to choose what relative peace looks like. It, it, the relative peace at that time wouldn't be like the relative peace that we have today. Um, relative peace, we don't, we don't uh, think of it that way uh, because the center of our worship is a cross. That's a Roman cross, by the way, which would line the roads of the Roman roads with people on them about six feet up so that you knew never to cross Caesar Augustus because that would happen to you. It was a gruesome power grab and it was all over the known world. And because he was so brutal, people were afraid to cross him. So in that sense, yes, they had more than 200 years of relative peace. It used to be in that region that there would be one faction ruling like the Ptolemaic. Um, and then it would be overthrown by the Seleucids. And then the Seleucids would be run over by the Maccabees. And the Maccabees would lose to Rome. And it would go boom, 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 boom. And so it was very chaotic. And entire villages would be burned to the ground and messed up. That didn't happen any longer with Rome. Because nobody dared to cross them because they were that powerful. So he was known, even though a person of brutality and, and great power, he was still held as the great bringer of peace. This peace, though, came at a cost called Roman expansion. And so you can see Rome uh, here. It expanded both east and west. Went over here to Spain and to Germany, all the way up to Britain. Came around the Horn of Africa, all along the northern coast of Africa. Basically owned all of Egypt. Came up over into Israel and the Judea, Judea over here, uh, up through what would be modern-day um, Syria and Turkey, uh, Greece, um, and then all the way around. So to the known world, it was said that the sun never set on the Roman Empire, and Caesar Augustus was the ruler of it all. What he said went. In short, he was the most powerful man on earth. Now, if God was coming from heaven to earth, wouldn't you expect him to stop by there? I mean, wouldn't you just go to the most powerful man on earth and say, hey, a king is coming, you know, here it is. You know, let's do this thing together. That's not what he did. He went to the shepherds. Now, I say all of this because as we begin to look at the life of Jesus uh, next year in 2018, and we look at what Jesus did, who he taught, um, how he taught, uh, what the conflicts were with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and all of that. Now, just remember that while we think of Rome as the terrible people like Pilate who killed our Savior, not everybody felt that way. It was a mixed bag. People weren't sure whether they wanted a different bringer of peace than Caesar. Some did, some didn't. And this is not a movie that I would rec uh, necessarily recommend to you or to children, uh, but it is pretty funny. And I want to show you um, perhaps a conversation that happened um, around Rome and who they were going to follow. And not just from us, from our fathers, and from our fathers' fathers. And from our fathers' fathers' fathers. Yeah. And from our fathers' 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 fathers. Yours, don't labor the point. And what have they ever given us in return? The aqueduct? What? The aqueduct? Oh, yeah, yeah, they did give us that. Uh, that's true, yeah. And the sanitation. Oh, yeah, the sanitation, Reg. Remember what the city used to be like? Yeah, all right, I'll grant you, the aqueduct, the sanitation, the two things the Romans have done. And the roads. Well, yeah, obviously the roads. I mean, the roads go without sand, don't they? But apart from the sanitation, the aqueduct, and the road... Irrigation? Medicine? Yeah. Education? Yeah, yeah, all right, fair enough. And the wine? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's something we've really misrated. The Romans left. <laughs> Public baths. And it's safe to walk in the streets at night now, Reg. Yeah, they certainly know how to keep order. Let's face it, the only ones who could in a place like this. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, but apart from the sanitation, the medicine, education, wine, public order, irrigation, road, the fresh water system and public health, what have the Romans ever done for us? Brought peace? Oh, peace! Shut up! <laughs> so, other than the aqueduct, right? The roads, irrigation, public health... All these things, which, by the way, are super important. That when Jesus comes to earth, the message of the good news can spread to all the world because of the relative peace that Rome has brought. Paul can go to places like Ephesus and Thessalonica um, and Philippi. He can go to these other places and regions and spread the good news to all the world because of Rome. So it's quite a mixed bag that Jesus is born into. So what is the message of the angels? The angels say to the shepherds, do not be afraid, for see, I'm bringing you good news of great joy for all people. What kind of news is it? It's good news. How much joy? It's great joy. What, to how many people? All the people. So this is the message. One, do not be afraid. Two, I'm bringing you good news of great joy. And thirdly, it's for ha- who? All people. Now, friends, this is a message that we cannot forget and we cannot refuse to tell. We must tell this story because, friends, if I look in the culture, if I watch the news, if I talk to non-religious or non-Christian people, they do not see us as good news. They don't see us as great joy, and they certainly don't see us for all people. Is that fair? They see us as bad news, as a downer of a killer of joy, and for certain people who think and act like we do. That's what they think. Friends, it is the exact opposite of what the angels have come to say. And this is what makes Christianity different. That for Jews, God is for who? The Jews. And not the Egyptians, not the Assyrians, not anybody else. The Jews. If you worship the God of Islam, who's that God for? Muslims. That's it. But not so with us. With us, the good news is for all people. Which includes Jews and Muslims, by the way, doesn't it? Unless I've somehow forgotten what all means. All is pretty inclusive. All means all. Cosmos means everyone. God so loved the world, everyone on the planet, that he gave his only son. Now, this is where the Christianity starts to break down. Our problem in the culture is that I don't know that we really believe this or we act like this is true. And some of you may notice that you're like, man, Pastor Mark has been ringing this bell like all year. Yes, because I'm not seeing any difference in the culture. It's actually going the other way. It's going the wrong way. That the more I talk to people who are outside the faith, the more they think that we aren't good news, that we're not a people of great joy, and that we're not for all people. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. And so it is our witness, our life in the world, to be people of good news of great joy for all people. Why? Is this something we can do in our own power? Absolutely not. Of course not. It's way too big. For mortals to pull that off. That's why a savior is born. The Messiah in the city of David. That's how we live into this. Because the power of the Messiah. The risen Lord. Because of Easter lives in us. And lives into the world. Now why does the angel say city of David? Why is that thrown in there? To you is born this day in the city of David. A savior who is the Messiah the Lord. Well who's David? David was the great king. And what did David do before he became king? He was a shepherd. Isn't that weird? He was a shepherd. So the Savior of the world is going to be born in the city of the shepherds. And if you're a shepherd, that's pretty cool. 
You're like, wow, we never saw that coming. We figured he'd go to the temple or he'd go to Rome or he'd go to here or he'd go to there. No, he's coming to the shepherds. David was a shepherd, the great King David, really the only great king. I mean, Solomon was good for a little bit, super wise, and then everything started to fall apart. And here's something interesting. If you look over in the Gospel of John, what does Jesus call himself? But the good shepherd. He says, I'm a good shepherd. I'm not a bad shepherd. Now, what you might think is, what you, people would expect is Jesus would say, I am the good Caesar. That's what they would expect him to say, right? I'm the good Caesar. I'm not the bad Caesar. I'm not like the Caesars that, you know, burn people down and are, uh, burn their whole villages down or mean to them. No, no, no. I'm the good shepherd. I'm a good shepherd. But that's not what he, he didn't say that he was a good Caesar. He said he's a good shepherd, which is a very different metaphor. And you almost could hear people go like, is there such thing as a good shepherd? Like, I don't know that I've ever known a good shepherd. Shepherds are the shifty, stinky people that, you know, let their animals graze on other people's land. And Jesus says, no, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm not a hired hand, if you were to continue to read on in John. He says, no, no, no. I lay my life down for the sheep. They know my voice. I know them. They know me. Wherever I go, they go. Where they go, I lay down with them. I rise up with them. These are my people. I take care of them. They can trust me. They can count on me. So back into the Gospel of Luke, the angel says this. This will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. So the sign is a child wrapped in cloth in a manger. The reason that we highlight manger is it's not about the child wrapped in cloth. That was normative in those days. If you had a little baby, you wrapped him up in cloth. Everybody did that. What was weird was that he was in a manger. What is the king of kings and lord of lords doing in a manger? Well, if there's no room in the inn, it's a pretty good place to go. Uh, we took this video this summer. Uh, this is actually at Megiddo. And so these stone troughs uh, that would have been for feeding, the, the wire stuff wasn't there, obviously. Um, but the, the troughs themselves, almost 3,000 years old. 3,000 years old. Because that would have been about 722 B.C. Uh, when those were built. Never changed, uh, not reconstructed. That's an animal trough. So if you have a baby, you put some straw in there and you wrap them up in cloth, it's a pretty good place to be. It's not like a Graco stroller, right? I mean, this thing's going to be around for a few thousand years. It's not something that just comes and goes. It's a very stable, wonderful place uh, to place a baby. And that's what it would look like. And then we have to deal with something that would be really, really weird, very strange, just radical. And it would be that this child in the horse trough and not Caesar will bring real peace. Do you see how weird that would be? If somebody said to you, Okay, there's going to be this little Puerto Rican baby born in about a month, right? The reason I use Puerto Rico is because it's an extension of the United States, right? Um, not, nothing very strong and huge is coming out of Puerto Rico. You don't expect that to be the leader of the free world. You would expect that to be at, at some major world power, not, not a baby born in a feeding trough in Puerto Rico. Nothing wrong with Puerto Rico. That's just not where you would expect it. You would expect that announcement to come in D.C. Um, or someplace like that. New York, some big cosmopolitan, strong, powerful place. No, it's not where it comes. It comes in the backwoods of a little town of shepherds. And suddenly, friends, there was the angel and a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And what did the shepherds do? This is super important. They went with haste. Notice that it's not hurry. Hurry is laden with all kinds of angst, uh, and stress and worry. No, no, no. They're like, yeah, awesome. Let's go see. Let's go see. 
And so they did. And so when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go now to Bethlehem, the place of the shepherds, the place of bread, and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And it didn't stop there. Not only did they, were they obedient, they, then they told others. They made known what had been told them. And what does the scripture say about that? When they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. Well, why were they amazed? Shepherds don't know anything. I mean, this is weird. I mean, shepherds are not the people that tell you about great royal announcements. These are not people that talk about world power. These are not people who talk about kings and all. No, they're just, they're shepherds. Now, they were well-connected because they owned, or they didn't own, but they, they ran with everybody's meat, right? So you might think of them as the first social network, right? This, this shepherd tells that shepherd, that shepherd tells that family, that family. So everybody knows from the shepherds. But people wouldn't have really thought about them as being the people that would bring the good news. So I want to step back. How in the world do we take that story from 2,000 years ago and, and place it today? Where are you looking for Jesus this year? Are you, are you headed to New York to see the big tree in front of Rockefeller Center? Nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. But you may or may not see Jesus there. You go to D.C. or uh, to Pyongyang or to Moscow or some other really important place in the world stage. He might be there. might not be there. And maybe it's the nutcracker because, you know, Jesus always shows up with the nutcracker. You know? Or maybe it's Trans-Siberian Orchestra. You know, Jesus is always there. Or maybe it is at... Uh, the house down the street from me that has a 20-minute display. It's awesome. I don't know if Jesus is there or not, but it's awesome. Right? And nothing wrong with those things unless, as you do all those things, you notice that you are no longer a person of good news or great joy. And certainly not for all people. Maybe not even for the people in the car with you. Anybody lived in that space over the last month? Like where you're just, you're just exhausted? You're just like, oh. So God goes to the shepherds. Because, and, and, you know, perhaps, just perhaps, the reason we haven't sensed God this Christmas is because we haven't gone where God goes. We go where God goes. Now, what do I mean by that? I sense God when I look at the work that our church does at Emerson High School who has a special program for teen mothers and are able to bring their babies to school with them. I sense God there. I sense God with our team that went to Guatemala last week and brought um, real life-saving water uh, to our brothers and sisters in Guatemala. I see God at work in Puerto Rico when um, our ability to help other folks rebuild their lives after two Category 5 hurricanes. I see God at work when we're able to help people in the Houston area uh, rebuild their lives. I see God at work in quiet ways when we visit a friend, when we help someone in need, when we do the things that Jesus did, quite frankly. You see him there. And if you haven't seen Jesus lately, maybe we're just not looking in the right places. Now, don't mishear me. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that anything that you do as a family tradition is bad. It might be awesome. But you have to ask yourself, does it help me become a person of good news, of great joy for all people? That's our question. That's our command from the angels, friends. So, our action steps. Be good news. If someone were to describe you, would they say, oh, here comes some good news? I hope so. Because sometimes when I walk in a room, people are like, oh, no. Right? 
You don't want to be that person. You want to be a person of good news. And are you a person of great joy? Would anybody describe you as somebody like, oh, yeah, I love it when I'm with them. We just have the big belly laughs. We have a great time. Great joy. Great joy. From your expressions, I think not. Like, oh, maybe not. And then let's go. Let's go and see where God is at work. And, and friends, if you, if you just simply think that you're too busy to go do that, then you're too busy. Right? You're just too busy. Change the plan. So the shepherds returned and glorified and praised God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So like the shepherds, we go and we glorify and we praise God. We say, look, 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 look. There's God. There's God. See what he's doing? Oh, that's awesome. See that person? They're blessed. They're of great joy. They're good news. And we step into it. And we step into it. Amen? Amen.